This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 308. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by a special guest, Sean Burrows of the HK Shooting Team. Sean, say hello, sir. Hello, sir. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Riley. And I'm I'm excited that I'm on episode 308. It's one of my favorite cartridges. It couldn't be more appropriate, right? Also episode 762, right? <laughs> Heck yeah. We'll be there before you know it. Uh, let's see. We just did episode 300 a few weeks back, and we gave away on the podcast a 300 blackout AR pistol. So, but nice. it wasn't in the budget or in the cards to do a, a 308 rifle for episode 308. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we we missed out on an opportunity, I think, to give something. Well, maybe we gave something away. I don't remember, but I know we didn't give away like a an AR or anything for episode 223. But well, you got uh, five five six coming five, eventually, five, six. and then when you have seven six two, you'll have to have me back. Just make it. A- <laughs> you got it. You got it. Hey, folks, uh, so today's episode is an interview with uh, Sean Burroughs, and uh, he's, I'll let him introduce himself here in a moment, but uh, give, give you the quick rundown. He's a sponsored shooter on the HK shooting team, shoots a lot of three-gun matches. We've shot a couple of the same matches, well, at least one, I know. Let's see, you were at the Wyoming Governor's match last year, right? I wasn't. I had well, to I pull out into personal stuff. Oh, I remember seeing I'm you. I'm going this year. Uh, Pete Renzing's kind of taking over the stage design, and I, I try to never miss a Pete Renzing match. Yep, yep. I will be there as well, so uh, I look forward to that, man. Uh, so we are talking today with Sean. Uh, we'll talk quite a bit about, I think, about competitive shooting, because uh, I think you've got some really interesting uh, things to share about what competition shooting has taught you and, and kind of what, what you, how did I, how did, you and I had a pretty good com- phone conversation a few weeks back. And we should have just recorded that. That was that was gold. <laughs> I know, right? What I wrote down was uh, how has competitive shooting changed the way you concealed carry, and and also has how has it changed things for you just in, in all aspects of that? You know, as far as ammunition that you choose or select, uh, guns that you carry uh, or use for self defense, as opposed to you know, like we're, I mean, of course you shoot HK, right? So so that probably makes it pretty easy, uh, whether it's your competition gun or or a carry gun. But also, we had there are re- some subtle differences. There's some HKs I, I just can't shoot. Sure, so sure. We can cover that too. But and then, uh, but we had a really interesting conversation about stress and talking about stress and managing stress and what that looks like. And I, I thought that was really, really interesting stuff that we were talking about. So I think that's kind of a lot of what we'll talk about here today. So, so today's title, t- today's the title of today's episode is uh, stress and shooting. Uh, and, and managing stress in high stress situations, so it'll, it'll be it'll be a good one, I promise. Today's episode is made possible and brought to you by ConcealedCarry.com's apparel. Uh, go to ConcealedCarry.com forward slash apparel. Really easy. If you can't spell apparel, that's okay. A P P A R E L. ConcealedCarry.com forward slash apparel. And we've got I'm wearing one right now. We've got shirts like this. Uh, speak softly and carry a big stick. Uh, AR15 shirt. It's a pretty popular seller. And uh, that's available for sale. There's also a bunch of other uh, new products that have hit hit our apparel uh, area in our store. So uh, go check it out. ConcealedCarry.com forward slash apparel. Uh, trust me, you want to be sporting one of these. And uh, yeah, so let's, uh, without further ado, let's just jump into it. And so I gave you a quick uh, intro, Sean. Uh, 
I'm probably I probably missed other stuff. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh gosh, uh, <laughs> HK shooting team is is fine, right? Like I, um, it's okay that we missed what I had for breakfast last Tuesday. Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> you know, I I'm I'm just a civilian that likes to shoot a lot. I grew up in Alaska. Um, uh, other than, you know, exotic location, notwithstanding, um, I was just like, uh, all my school friends, we were turning our triangle sandwich halves into guns and, um, pizza slices turned into guns. You just got to eat a little right angle out of one side and, you know, maybe a pepperoni will fall off. But I just have always been fascinated with launching projectiles through uh, time and space to see if I can um, hit a mark. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I mean, I, I, you know, those, those, those little uh, cone water paper, water cups that you see at, uh, water fountains and uh, they're, they're less popular now, which you pop one off. Right. Well, the, I mean, the preschool I went to, I, I distinctly remember stealing those and then I'd, I'd fold them into kind of a paper airplane shape and tape them and, and turn them into, to, to guns. So may, maybe my, um, obsession with, with, uh, turning everything into a gun is, is a little less than normal, but I mean, um, it, it it's never really gone away. And now it takes up a majority of my time. And I talked to my wife who's f- from Southern California into giving it a try. And now we both shoot competitively. Yep. Um, but I, I really got into it when, um, I was, uh, um, geez, after, after Sandy hook, my, my wife bought me a pistol. Um, I, I'd previously gone through some business stuff where uh, I wound up selling a lot of guns just to make ends meet at a less than honest business partner. And, you know, the, over the years where we were kind of recovering, I, uh, having a firearm just wasn't a priority. Um, probably should have been on the self-defense side, uh, but it wasn't and wound up not needing it <laughs> over, over that, that four or five year period. But uh, you know, when things stabilized again uh, to the point where I could think about, you know, maybe going on vacation or heck taking a day off. Um, uh, my, my wife bought me an HKP 30 for my birthday and uh this was five, six years ago now. And, uh, I started concealed carrying and I went on and got a permit and, you know, it felt good to kind of be back doing that. I, um, that was the only period in my life where I wasn't really thinking about guns. Right. And, um, it just, after about a week of got my permit, I'm carrying my HK, like it just became a pain. Um, for a little while I stopped carrying and then, but I, but I, I really wanted to, but it just didn't. Some days I'd get up and <laughs> go about my work day or my Saturday. And it just carrying's a carrying is a pain. Like it, you have to make a conscious effort. You're it's something you need to be cognizant of on, on regular intervals. It's a, uh, you, you can't take the fact that you're cramming deadly force down the waistband of your pants lightly. Right. Yep. And, and, uh, but, yeah, what do you do? You go to the range, you 
150 rounds of ammo. Like, yep, I can still put holes in paper at 5, 10, 15, 25 yards. Huh. Okay. Back to life. And, and it just, it, it loses its luster real fast. And I realized that um, unlike say my dad who loves to collect guns, he, he owns more guns and, and has even more stories behind each one that he owns than I, I ever personally care to uh, other than the fact I'm sure he's leaving them to me, but um, you know, I, I wanted to be doing, I'm a doer. I'm not, a, I'm not a stuff collector. And, and so uh, first of all, I wanted to get good at shooting, but like, what does getting good mean? Right. I can hit my target. So maybe I should do it faster. And I started looking at YouTube videos and I, I started entertaining the idea of uh, taking some, some training classes, you know, concealed carry advanced low light, whatever, right. High dress, whatever. Yeah. And, and, but I didn't know where to go. <laughs> All these instructors, there's no like, I don't know, like standard credential and they're expensive, right? You're dropping five to 500 to a thousand dollars for a two, three, four day weekend. And, and then plus ammo. And I'm, I'm always skeptical. <laughs> um, another word could be uh, cheap. And, um, I, I, and I wound up not pulling the trigger on it, I guess. So then, then I I saw this stuff about competitive shooting and someone mentioned like, come on out, see what you can do. Um, I tried an IDPA match. I tried a USPSA match and I was hooked pretty fast. Mm. Um, and I was, I was proud of myself that I was, I was getting all a hits. Uh, for those of you that don't know the, the scoring system on <laughs> competitive shooting, there's, there's uh, humanoid type targets. You can kind of see those in the background. Um, uh, the, the smallest centermost area is the A zone and outside you got your C zone and D and, or you can just miss completely. Um, right. And, and um, I'm going to turn those notifications off. Um, <laughs> And, and, and so it, it, I, I was proud of my, my ability to hit the targets. Uh, I, I squatted with some, well, I guess, accomplished shooters that I didn't know who were accomplished at the time and, uh, having them praise me and say, wow, good job. Um, it, it made me feel good. And, uh, then I realized the adrenaline rush, um, was there, but one thing I was doing during my first match was, um, every time I'd reload. So when you're going through a, a course of fire, you, uh, you plan when you're going to top your gun off with a fresh mag. You don't want to run your, your magazine dry. So you're inevitably going to drop a mag with maybe three, five, even 10 rounds left. If, if you know you, you're going to have to top off. So when you're moving from one shooting position around a barrier to another, it's a good time to reload top off. So you don't run dry while you're engaging another array of targets. Say you're, trying to shoot too fast. You keep missing steel's not falling. Um, you, it, it's, it's part of the game. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I noticed that every time I'd reload, I'd, uh, rack the slide cause I was used to that habit of go to the range, put in a magazine, rack the slide. Now you're ready to shoot. Right. I didn't have the habit of just putting a new mag in because there's already a round in the chamber. I didn't run dry. And, and so, um, I didn't notice this until my, uh, I was watching the videos. Um, I had someone video me 
Um, and I started noticing other things, um, how I was standing, like, that's not how you stand. Like, I know that, but under stress of the timer, <laughs> um, I, I thought, oh my gosh. And so I started working on it. Then I went to, a, uh, the range. I tried some drills. Um, we have a lot of public land out here in Utah. Oh, yeah. And, um, and so I'm able to, um, you don't have to go very far to find places you can no. shoot. Right. I, and I'm, I'm really, uh, blessed in that, that regard for sure. And so I wound up working on stuff. My videos look good. And I went and I, I shot another match and the videos didn't look like my training and well, what's different. It was a stress. And I, I started becoming obsessed with this idea of like, all right, I know what I'm capable of when I give myself the go, but I also see myself falling apart in certain aspects. Um, when I'm put under the pressure of watching accomplished shooters, watch me, uh, a timer goes off. I just forgot my entire plan of attack. And this, this is a, a situation where you get to, you have five minutes, you can walk through a stage and figure out, well, I'll go shoot these first and then I'll shoot these. And wait, maybe I should have a reload in there. Right? Like you, you have a plan. And, uh, it, it reminds me of the Mike Tyson uh, quote, you know, everyone's right. got a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> um, and that, that, that timer, that stress can really punch you in the face. And, uh, and then I started wondering, um, what else I was capable of and, uh, uh, seeing how far I could go. And, um, that, that was the beginning of my journey. Mm. Um, I've always been an HK fanboy, but I had what I had. I had that pistol and I, I wanted to compete with that and see what I could get good with. Right. So, um, I, I didn't figure out the subtleties of what makes a good competition gun doesn't necessarily make a good carrier combat or duty pistol, uh, till later, but uh, I got pretty far with, with that, that thing. And, uh, you know, it's still the gun that I carry today. Uh, P30 with LEM trigger variant. I, I put some Trigicon HD night sights on it because um, I've got the bright front blade and the blackout rear, but it still has the tritium three dots if I want to use it in, or need yep. to use it in low light. And uh, it's very similar to the, the sights I have on my competition gun, blackout rear and a fiber optic front. So I, I have a similar sight picture. I, you know, I, I try to keep as many similarities between training um, I do for competition versus concealed carry, but ultimately, I mean, once, once your hands come together here, whether you're pulling it out of appendix or out of a competition or a duty holster, once your hands come to here and meet in the middle, you know, from, from that point to your presentation, it's the same. Right. Um, I don't, I don't shoot a super, uh, light, competition trigger with a heavy steel frame, uh, gun. I'm, I'm shooting a polymer frame gun with, um, yeah, my, all my guns have trigger jobs. So that, but the triggers feel relatively the same trigger resets relatively the same. Um, because for me, I, I, I don't want to get real good, you know, on, on the competition side of things, but then experience trigger freeze because I've got maybe a longer reset or a heavier pull and I can't. So I, I, I try to keep all my training um, in that regard um, similar. Mm. Yeah. So uh, when it comes to, to, to stress, um, 
it, it feels like, um, let me turn that off. <laughs> keeps, keeps dinging. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have do not disturb turned on, so I don't, I don't know why it's, uh, still going, but, yeah, no, um, no worries, man. The, when it comes to stress operating under the, the, the stress of a clock, you know, I, I've since read and learned that the body doesn't know the difference between good stress and bad stress. As far as the body, your brain does, you can give context to those feelings. Um, but the adrenaline dump, the, the cortisol, the, the, the nerves, um, there, there are certainly levels of intensity, but stress is stress when it comes to the human body. So, um, you know, the kid excited for Christmas, um, is experience a sim experiencing a, a similar chemical rush to, um, you know, a, a kid that's worried about getting in, in trouble. Um, I took my wife up to Alaska a couple years ago uh, during the Midnight Sun Festival. Um, so we're in Fairbanks uh, on June 21st. All the stores stay open all night long. There are bands playing in the streets. It's it, it's fun. Yeah. And But we were only there for like four days. We could only get away for a little bit. So we went hiking. <laughs> oh, we did all sorts of stuff that we could uh, fit in. And by like day three, um, we're just dragging and we couldn't figure out why because the sun's up the whole time. And, <laughs> and so we're not naturally like going to bed. And and then we looked at our, our phones and it was four in the morning. <laughs> We'd just been out hiking all day. And, and then we went to uh, some all night. I don't even remember. We were tired. <laughs> and and uh, it was interesting because we, we the sun was up. So contextually, we felt like we should be awake, but we most certainly were not. And um, it, it, you know, it plays tricks on you. Mm -hmm. um, once we were aware of that, like, oh, our bodies are tired. But you know, just just because the context changes, you know, the body's going to be what it's going to be: tired, stressed, um, sure. and. There's no such thing as a happy body. There's no such thing as a sad body. Um, there, there's just different types of stress, right? It's it's your brain that gives it that that context. And so, um, there there's a healthy body and an unhealthy body. There's a rested body and an unrested body. There's a relaxed body and a stressed out body. And so, yeah. it it really got me. You know that that whole concept has has really intrigued me ever since. And um, so the the only way to really build uh, consistency in whatever your body needs to perform. Um, fine motor movement, macro motor movement is building habits, neural pathways. Some people call it muscle memory, right? And, right. and so then I became obsessed with dry fire. I, I realized mm -hmm. I didn't need to go to the range nearly as much as uh, I thought I did in order to get better competitive shooting. So uh, the, the four M's of competitive shooting marksmanship, movement, manipulation, just learning how to work your weapons, and then mm -hmm. the mental game, um, I realized I would be able to free up my present cognitive mind to focus on what I needed to do during a course of fire if a lot of the things like reloads, uh, what I do if I go in a bolt lock with any of my three guns, um, or any other scenario I can train, malfunctions, common malfunctions, double feeds, um, I don't think I've ever had a double feed on the clock, but I still train them. Right. right. Uh, you never know uh, going dry when you don't think you're gonna, uh, all, all, all those things. Um, the more automatic it, it, that becomes, 
you're freeing up space up here to be able to perform uh, decision-making um, things while under stress because you're not thinking about it. And that includes, you know, actually shooting. Like, I don't want to think about side alignment, pull the trigger straight back, ride the reset. You know, it, yeah. I, I just want to be able to see a target and, and execute. You know, I, I'm focusing on that front sight and an array that I plan to shoot in whatever order. And um, anymore, I, I don't have to think about, all right, focus on the front sight. I don't have to think about aligning because I've built the muscle memory to where I know how my body feels exactly when I've got a perfect grip and uh, perfect side alignment. Mm -hmm. So side alignment by feel, um, it doesn't always happen that way, <laughs> but because of the reps that I'm continually putting in to maintain and progress, um, it's more likely to happen than not. And so, um, it's interesting what happens when one little thing goes wrong. Maybe you were in a rush, you got your holster on and the angle is just a little bit different than when you're, uh, when you take your time. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, this, this last year I've spent a lot more time with, uh, getting dry fire reps in with my concealed carry too, because yeah. those small things like you, you can have way more go wrong with a concealed carry situation than you can a competition. Cause you've got time to prepare and think through it. You know, you, you know, it's coming in a competition, but you don't know what's coming when somebody's picking a fight with you and trying to kill you. No. And, and that's, that's the, that's an interesting point, right? Like you, you get, the keyboard commandos on social media, like, yeah, that that's really cool, but uh, um, no one's shooting back at you. So, I mean, uh, Adam Petrillis, um, he's he's a sergeant, a sheriff's office down in Florida somewhere. Uh, he was on the HK shooting team with me up until about a year ago, hmm. um, and uh, he, you know, he's actually been in firefights. He's actually experienced that kind of stress, and he competes regularly and. It was some piece of combined video content where everyone on the HK shooting team was doing some drill and uh, HK put it all together and made an Instagram post out of it. Mm. It's been a while. <laughs> and uh, somebody, you know, if it goes up on the HK shooting team social media, people are kind of used to seeing competition stuff. But if it goes up on the main HK social media, all the know-it-alls come out of come out of the woodwork, right? Like, what's get the you killed like in that? the sheet in the streets. <laughs> oh yeah, it'll get you killed in the streets. <laughs> oh, I remember the drill now. It was uh, draw, fire one round, reload, fire one round, reload, fire one round. Sure, four reloads, um, five shots, right? Mm -hmm. um, and. And everyone's just saying, like, what is this? Is this in case California comes up with a maximum mag capacity of one? This is stupid. Right? Just, <laughs> it's, it's just a drill to work on reloading and then reacquiring your target. That's that's all it is. And some people just couldn't fathom why anyone was doing that drill. Was, and and uh, someone said, like, you'd never reload like that if someone was firing at you. I wonder if any of these guys have ever been in a firefight. And Adam just said, I have. <laughs> <laughs> have you and, and you know the the absurdity that i have to experience uh actual endangerment of my life in order to be able to practice um being better with my weapon um under stress is absurd right it's absolutely absurd
Um, there, there are a lot of things that we do differently when competing because it's a game that uh, tests marksmanship and athleticism. It is not a tactical thing, right? There, there are some leagues like IDPA that try to right. create real world situations, but when the shooters that shoot in the higher levels in that league um, are, are getting at it in national matches, it, it's, it's still just a game. Right. Yep. And, and so it is what it is. It's like race cars have really big engines. Semi trucks have really big engines. They're used for totally different things. And, and so no one absurdly uh, criticizes NASCAR. Like, yeah, they've got really big engines, but there's no way that car could ever haul a trailer across the country, right? Like you, you don't hear that. <laughs> it's, it's about utility. Um, so, but you know, I, I'm, I'm sure a NASCAR driver could get in a tractor trailer and do an okay job. Yep. Yeah. But conversely, I, I mean, you know, in, in order to be an armed professional, depending on your application, you only need to qualify at a minimum level, many, many of them. Right. Mm -hmm. But all my friends that are firearms instructors for uh, law enforcement, they, they know when people come in to qualify before a round is fired, who is going to do well and who's not because of the way they set up their, their duty belt. I mean, they all talk about how they carry things and prioritize stuff on their belt differently uh, after going through training or maybe having experienced a firefight. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But a good friend of mine's uh, uh, NYPD and, and he had the unfortunate experience of having to defend himself to the uh, ending of uh, someone's life um, while on duty. And um, now he does a lot of tr- tactical training, uh, Strets tactical on Instagram, S T R E T Z. He's, um, also been in the military, uh, very, very knowledgeable guy, Ken Stretz. And, and, uh, we were talking one day and, uh, when, when we first met and, uh, you know, just, just being silly, I said, all right, so what do you prefer? Isosceles or, uh, uh, Weaver <laughs> stance. Right. And he said, when you're running, there's no such thing. There just isn't Yep. right. Like there's no isosceles. There's no Weaver running, That's- walking, uh, I don't know, lean, leaning out around cover, hiding behind a car. I mean, wrestling and struggling. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the training causes one to have, have experiences that, that you can't plan to have even. And, you know, I, I started doing competition because I didn't know who to take training from. So I just got out there, paid 20 bucks, went to a match I was willing to make a fool of myself um, in order to see what I was capable of. And I'd much rather make a fool of myself trying to compete than uh, getting attacked in a parking garage <laughs> or whatever, right? Like that's not the time to figure out how good you are. Yeah. Uh, you know, one, one of the things that, that I've seen, and I've seen it myself too, and there's some great comments too on Facebook, by the way, uh, where – you, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> All wow. those great comments. Woo, are where'd that go? That one is, that was here and then it was gone. It's woo, gone. Um, so 
I was just thinking about things that I've observed, uh, both in other shooters as well as in myself. Uh, particularly when you sh- when you go to competition matches, uh, and I'll tell you, especially with your first one, usually the wake up call that that a person gets is you, they're doing something they've never done before. Um, it's different. It's it's new. You're trying to learn the rules. You're trying to learn how it operates, and so cognitively you're focused on all of these other things rather than the shooting. And so the shooting really falls by the wayside, uh, you know, for, for a lot of people. I know it did with me. My very first match was I was trying to think about all these things and, and there'd be times I'd be missing targets, you know, like a steel target. Why isn't that going down? You know? And then I'd have to remember, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not even paying attention to what I'm doing with the gun. Like I'm just pointing in that direction and shooting, which at five yards, you know, works fine. But it, it, you know, if you got a steel plate at 20 or 25, like you can't just point and, you know, expect to hit it every time. Right. So, so, uh, you were talking about that a little bit and, and I'm also thinking of Mark Passamanic. Do you know Mark by chance? Yeah. Yeah. So he, he's on the, he was on the podcast a while back and talked about, he, he calls it cognitive stack and how you've got cognitive stack. Yep. So you, you can stack so many things in your brain at one time cognitively, right? And your stack is limited. He said, most people can handle maybe, maybe four or five things, you know, at a time. Um, and, and there really is no, um, the latest science on this is is showing that there's really no true multitasking that people are capable of doing. There's nope. just people that are we really have one processor, right? Exactly. There's just people that are really good at switching between processes really quickly, mm-hmm. and so that's part of the reason why we we have a limitation as far as how many things we can focus on and do it at, at a single time because there's, there comes a point where you just can't switch back and forth between these different tasks fast enough or enough times, right? And so, basically, what I'm what I'm getting at is. We train how to we, we train shooting right, and competition is great for doing this. You're focused on learning the shooting aspect, you know, the the marksmanship, the the speed, the manipulation side of running a gun. That's what for me competition is all about. Is I want to get as good as I can be at manipulating and shooting that gun. The tactics that you know piece of it on the defensive side is totally different, not even related. Like you said, and even in IDPA, it's a game, three gun. It's a it's like the biggest game of all, you know. I mean, uh, USPSA like video game. It's awesome. Yeah, it's it is it is the best game, in, as far as I'm concerned, on the planet. Uh, so anyway, my point is is that you you want to make your shooting, your actual skill on the gun, happen as automatically as 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 you can. And the only way to get to that level is to shoot a lot, or to, and and or to dry fire a lot. Or both a lot, like do it, do it all a lot. Like you got to get so many repetitions, and even now, like I'm at a point where I'm 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 the best shooter I've ever been in my life, which is not still where I really want to be, but but I'm I'm getting there, right? But I'm I'm, I'm I'm about as good as I can be for right now. And there's times where I'm shooting a match, a lot of things happen automatically, but then there's other times where it starts to break down, and it's those moments where I realize that. My skill's not quite yet where I want it to be. You know, I, I can't quite put it entirely on autopilot as it relates to the use of that gun, mm-hmm. because something else happens along the way and it and it totally disrupts that cognitive stack, and boom, like you you, you kind of lose it. And then at some point you have to re, regroup and go, wait a minute, I'm missing shots here. I'm pulling things, whatever it is, and you gotta you gotta take a little bit of a break or a pause. At least I do. You know, okay, all right, where's that front sight again? What's what there, there's actually this thing called a sight. Like I gotta use it sometimes, you know, on these long, more difficult shots, you know, like because you just sometimes that just goes out the window because you're filling that stack with all this other stuff. 
That's an inter- interesting point. I, you know, when I, when I first started to learn how to shoot on the move, um, you know, when, when I want to walk across the room, I'm going to look at something that I'm going to walk towards, right? Like it's subconscious, but I'm, I'm looking at where I'm going, not where I'm at. I'm not looking down at my feet at each step I take, unless I'm on some massively uneven terrain, (laughs) but as far as normal day to day, but you know, when you're moving through a course of fire, you need to know where you got to end up and, and fire the targets you're walking towards or past. Um, but you, you can't be target focused. You have to look at that front sight. You have to be ultra present. And it's, again, it's a mental game thing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the fact that I'm farsighted, <laughs> not nearsighted becomes a problem. Um, and so I have to really still remind myself if I'm starting with a pistol on a, on a three gun course of fire to remember to look at that front sight and I'll get a front, I'll get a sight picture on that first target before I load, make ready and put it in my holster. And um, it's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, I mean, uh, the human brain, you you can't focus on anything uh, or any more than one thing at a time. And and that's it switching between. So making as much of what I do automatic, I guess, uh, habitual subconscious uh, as possible allows for that, that, that higher functioning. And, and, and right now, you know, I, I spent the winter, all my off season training with pistol, mm-hmm. barely touched uh, shotgun or rifle and just really making sure that not only do that my, my pistol skills don't atrophy, but uh, I was working on improving. Um, and, and, you know, when it comes to concealed carry, I was even spending more time with my concealed carry draws. Um, yeah. I, I switched to appendix carry at the beginning of the year from uh, four o'clock kidney carry, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's, it's been a, it's been a game changer. I can draw and get on target a lot faster, but uh, um, lifestyle wise, getting used to that, uh, yeah. trying out different holsters and um, you know, I, I've got it figured out now and now I just practice it, but working on reloads, draws, the whole thing. Um, it, it, it has taken some time to, adjust to that right so just like mid-season i'm not gonna I'm not gonna change up the optic on my rifle or adjust my fire controls you know whatever i've got for a season i'm gonna work on and then work with and then during the off season during the winter i'll i'll yep. make adjustments to a new rifle or a pistol or whatever but by and large uh w- once you ingrain those habits <laughs> you want to keep them the same yeah i'm sure some people would like to know so actually you mentioned you switched over to appendix carry um what what kind of holster are you having success with right now? Um, I forget what they call it, but it's uh, by LAG, LAG oh, yeah. Tactical. Yeah, they, in my opinion, they they make some of the best uh, um, Kydex products out there. I they do. I absolutely love their stuff. They've they've got a top notch shop. It's not just some dude with a few molds and an oven and a dream <laughs> making stuff out of his mom's basement. It's you know they're a full operation. They, they've got. CNC machines like they're 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 a legit um company and they they make really good stuff um craftsmanship uh the design that's really important um I don't don't as much as you can not feel it with without losing awareness of it I'm I'm able to pull it off with with their holster so um and, and then any any gun that (laughs) 
Um, Safari Land doesn't make they're they're my um, one of my main sponsors. So Safari Land doesn't make a production holster for one of those weird HK guns. If I switch <laughs> divisions, like I use a Mark Twenty Three when I shoot Heavy Metal Division, which instead of the normal th- that's a big uh, nine gun, dude. Um, uh, shooting forty five for those that don't know, uh, forty five and three hundred eight. That's a big gun, dude. It's an accurate gun, and I have big hands. <laughs> they're they're awesome guns, but it's it's too like I have meaty hands, but my fingers are short, so I have a hard time re- reaching the trigger on the Mark Twenty Three. <laughs> uh, that's why the uh, eventual development of the USP forty five tactical, and now uh, they're yeah. using the HK forty five compact tactical mm. with that that's that's the uh evolution of that that whole sure. design but i mean mark 23 fits my hand i, I shoot a usp expert which also it, it's a bigger grip and uh, uh a lot of people ask me why i don't shoot the vp9 because it, it just doesn't quite fit my hand right you know my, my the second match i ever shot I actually ran a glock 34 it was someone else's but i didn't have a gun with me and they asked me to come shoot with them and so I, I ran what I had, but I, I can't shoot Glocks because the grip angle and then the low bore axis, uh, it's slide bite city. My big, fat, meaty hands, uh, I, I was just raw and bleeding by the time the match was <laughs> over. And I couldn't I couldn't hit anything because I was so used to my the grip angle of my P30, and I'd have to, I found, since the, the Glock angle is so pronounced, I had to push the gun kind of down like that, and it was a really uncomfortable shooting position and definitely not automatic, so I wasn't. My front yeah. sight was perpetually high, so I was just shooting over every target sure. until I made an adjustment. I'm a weirdo. Like I, I switch back between back and forth between a Glock and a Sig, like all the time. Totally different grip, grip angles, but totally different grip angles. But boom, boom. I got. I don't know, but I, I I've practiced it. I think too. So I uh, I don't know. I, I recognize when I put the Sig in the hand and I make the adjustment. I guess I don't know. See, I, I can't. I, I just can't do that. Like, <laughs> Um, you know, HK just came out with the, the VP nine long slide and they want everyone on the team running it. Cause it's the hot new thing. But mm. in fact, I was, <laughs> I'm, I'm the guy that did the YouTube video to talk about the VP nine long slide. And, you know, they sent a camera crew out here to Utah and we filmed it. It's on YouTube now. And, and everyone's at, everyone that follows me knows I, I, I run a USP expert and, um, I, I've got people asking me, are you switching the VP nine long side? Should I switch to, I just got an expert because of, you know, what are your videos? And <laughs> no, not, not this season. Anyway, it's, it's a sure. great gun, but it comes down to the grip. Mm-hmm. It's just different. And it's I'm, different. Yeah. I'm so used to like finger grooves, make a grip smaller. And I, I need as much real estate on the inside of that grip to, to fit my support hand um, and get as high as possible. And that's really what it comes down to. Um, just <laughs> if you don't have a good grip, everything else goes to crap. So I've yep. spent a lot of time on my grip. Hey, I wanted to go back to uh, talking about stress. Uh, you and I talking on the phone a few weeks back, I, I mentioned this to you. So I'm curious if you, if you had a chance to go and watch it. Remember I mentioned that documentary free solo. That, uh, yes. Did, did you, did you watch it? I did. And I didn't make it through it. I'm not to me, three guns, the ultimate rush because <laughs> I don't want to skydive. <laughs> like heights don't you don't do heights heights. my world too much <laughs> so like to watch somebody doing that like i i can barely when someone will send me like a 60 second instagram video about some parkour attention seeking millennial 
walking out on the edge of a skyscraper in Singapore or something. Like, I just can't. Like, I, I try and uh, hopefully I never get stuck on top of a skyscraper and then someone tries to mug me while I'm concealed carrying because I don't know that I could perform no matter how much dry fire I do <laughs> under that kind of stress. <laughs> yes, I I did. I did attempt to watch it. You I, attempted. I I made... Dude, it, it gives you the wheelies, doesn't it? Yeah. Like I, I, I almost wanted to throw up, but <laughs> probably didn't help that I was watching it on a big, you know, 70 inch TV <laughs> yeah. this far away. But right. Yeah. I think I, I, I think I watched most watch of it on my like... phone and, and it wasn't quite as bad, I think in that regard. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> so folks, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, so recently there's this documentary released, I think it was on national geographic and, uh, it's called free solo, which is a story of Alex Honnold who, uh, He's the first person that free solo climbed, which is, that means no ropes, no safety gear, like just your hands, your feet. Uh, he, he's the first person to free solo climb uh, El Capitan in Yosemite National Park, which is three, over 3,000 feet, uh, just straight sheer up, straight up, you know, cliff face. And I mentioned it to uh, Sean because we were talking about stress and managing stress. And I was fascinated by that documentary, by this story, because this guy's stress is um it, you're right Sean it doesn't it doesn't compare to like say stress in a competition uh, match because the, the downside is of performing poorly at a match is you, you don't win <laughs> but right. but the but the equivalent of that in Alex Honnold's world is he f- slips falls and dies <laughs> but Alex can't think about that or he won't be able to perform and and, yes. and that that gives that, that comes to a straight uh, illustration of the point we've, we've been discussing is, you know, if, if he thinks about the worst case scenario constantly, that's what's going to happen more yeah. likely. And so he's got to keep that stuff under, under wraps. And, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen if I lose a match? When I first started, I'll be humiliated. Someone will video this and put it up on social media and um, I'll, I'll come in last and everyone on the score website will see it and laugh at me and hate me. And like all these absurd, irrational, negative thoughts rush through your head. And then beep, time to start shooting. <laughs> right. Uh, you, you can't think about any of that. Yep. You, you have to just go and perform. I, you remember the, the show, what is it? Hot, hot shots. Um, oh yeah. Mitchellick and Max Michelle around. Yep. yep. You know, I, the big gun. <sighs> Yeah. And, and watching those guys um, perform uh, and, and just completely mess up and then let that stage go wherever they, you know, it could potentially have cost them the match. And these guys are on payroll with companies, right? Yeah. I mean, Max Michelle's pulling down six figures from SIG and um, he needs to perform. Are the guys in the army marksmanship unit? Like, they're getting supported by taxpayer dollars. Right. And so (laughs) there's added pressure there and, and to watch them just like, let it go and move on to the next stage and then just come back and win the match because like, well, that happened how it happened, you know, early on in the competitor thing. Like if if you have a stage where you just, you just screw up, like what people will do is like, okay, instead of shooting it, 100%, 100%, I'm going to have to shoot at 110% of my ability to make up for what I just lost. Like, no, you can't. Like, it's impossible. And then you wind up just screwing yourself up even more. Well, with this, this rock climbing 
like you and I are sitting there watching and we just talked about how it was stressing us out. My butt's just on a couch. I'm drinking yep. water. There's <laughs> no danger, but my body didn't know the difference. Sure. Yeah. No, that, that's a powerful illustration. You're putting yourself in, in that person's shoes, at least, you know, in, in, in some respect. And, uh, uh, especially if you've been there and you've lived it and you've experienced that kind of stress. I mean, that's one of the reasons why there's certain things that, that trigger, uh, episodes of PTSD with people, right? Like, mm-hmm. because they've been there, they've lived it, they've experienced it, they've seen it. And then something else, you know, around them or in their life on TV, on the radio, whatever it is happens that, Oh, you know, it takes them back to where, where they were. They know what that's like. And, and that, that, re, you know, that energizes that stress that brings that stress level up within their body. So something triggers them. Yeah, exactly. So there's an interesting comment here from uh, Shana. She said, uh, that guy is definitely wired differently, referring to Alex and old. We watched that at work on our lunch break. Uh, so I think, and I kind of responded to her, her here in the comments on Facebook just by saying, I think Alex would actually disagree and you know argue that point with Shana because I read an article that was kind of a follow-up with him after the fact talking about this you know people were just like fascinated like how can you do that like you you're there's something different about your brain and a part of that documentary they actually take him in and do mri scans of his brain because mm-hmm. they're like what's different about alex honold well the truth is there's nothing different about how his brain is really wired or, or the makeup or the the composition of his brain compared to any other normal human his, his brain on a scan looks completely normal but what is different is when they would display uh, high stress, kind of inducing, you know, scary or frightening or um, exciting images to him. As you know, they're displaying these images to him as he's going through the scan. His his brain is not activated as much by that stress as it would be for a normal person. And and the idea is, or the thinking is, is that over time through repeated attempts of climbing, you know, first he probably started with this 10 foot tall cliff when he was a kid. Right. And without a rope scaled that cliff and then it's 20 foot and then it's a hundred foot. And then, you know, like he's made thousands and thousands of climbs and hundreds and hundreds of those, or maybe even thousands of those have been without ropes and stuff. And, you know, he's, he's done just a little bit more, a little bit more. His uh, breadth of experience has expanded so that as he is looking at a cliff face and he looks at a hold or he looks at a crack and goes, oh yeah, I I know what to do with that. I know how to handle that. I've done that before. I can do it. And he actually talked in the documentary how important it was for him to, to feel and to have confidence for him to be able to complete this climb. And so he actually went to, I don't know, it was like Madagascar or something. No, it was... Uh, he went somewhere else with some friends to just just to go climbing, just to kind of get in the groove and like feeling confident that he knew he could do what he was about to do. Yep. And then he made an attempt, and actually, the more you know, he gets at like five hundred or seven hundred feet up, and he he just wasn't feeling it, right? And he 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 bailed out. He said, "I I can't do this. It's not going to happen today." And I kind of wonder. There's been some comments about, and, and you even touched on that as well, Sean, about how. Uh, uh, you can't have that in your mind. You can't be thinking about those consequences and be able to focus on the task at hand and be able to achieve it. And I kind of think that he must have had some some thoughts like that going on that he was probably trying to suppress and suppress and suppress, and it just wasn't happening. I've been there. I've shot matches myself where you're just not you're just not in it that day, and 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 you kind of feel it and you kind of sense it, and like you 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 know that you got to put that out of your mind, and so you try. And I think sometimes the the act of trying to put it out of your mind 
it just like keeps it there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Well, it's, it's the, uh, you it, just like you scientifically can't measure darkness. Darkness is literally just the absence of light. You, you can't, um, you can't have an empty stage. You can't have nothing on your mind. You know, the, 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 there are, um, Buddhist monks that spend their entire lives meditating just to clear their mind. And that's ideally how you reach Nirvana (laughs) transcendental meditation aside, you know, how they start getting there is learning to focus on at least one thing. Cause that's the closest number to zero, right? When in actuality, you can only focus on one thing at a time. We were just talking about this, right? That's, that's the physical capability of your brain. You can switch between thoughts. You can have things sitting, sitting in, in uh, your cerebral cortex, but as far as working memory, one thing at a time. And, and so um, I, I had a friend that's uh, he's a psychologist and a business coach. And um, I helped him with some, some seminars uh, a while ago, but he, he does this thing where uh, he, he'll bring someone to the front of the room and he'll say, all right, I want you to think, you know, what's your favorite fruit? Uh, banana. Okay. All right. I want you to think about the banana. Now think about, you know, the yellow peel, that, that smell when you first crack the peel open, that, 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 that sound. And then, you yeah. know, this is a good banana. It's not, it's not, um, it's just ripe enough. It's just not green. It doesn't have any brown spots on it. And it, and it just tastes perfectly. And I want you to think about what it's like eating every bite of that banana down to how, fresh that that peel left over still feels as you're throwing it into the, into the trash can um and it has them like sitting there with their eyes closed and they're nodding their head you can see that they're thinking about it right and he says all right now look at me now whatever you do don't think about bananas <laughs> yeah right like you know we, we see this in in uh religious services where they'll, they'll spend time talking about how bad all these things are and how we should avoid them. Yeah. <laughs> but they'll spend more time talking about the bad stuff than the good stuff. Huh? And, and this, this actually kind of really uh, solidified for me uh, just last month when I was reading uh, David Goggins uh, new book, can't hurt me. Oh, I have that sitting on my nightstand. I haven't started it yet though. Uh, profanity notwithstanding, I mean, if you know who David Goggins is, you, you just know to be prepared for lots of F-bombs. <laughs> but uh, it, the, you know, he, he brings the – he's been a – he's an ultra-endurance racing athlete. He's been a Navy, Navy he's SEAL. A Navy he went SEAL. through Hell Week three times. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he, uh, he, he says the human brain uh, is thinking between 2,000 and 4,000 thoughts an hour. Wow. So like, can, can you account for all the thoughts that you've had in the last 60 minutes? Maybe because we're recording a podcast, but, um, heck no, I can't even remember what we said five minutes ago, dude. Right. All that <laughs> lead exposure from shooters like us. <laughs> but I mean, so if, if you, if you just make a cognitive effort to, to control what you're putting on that, that stage, that is your, your conscious mind, instead of just letting it choose its own content, its own programming, um, you can have drastically different results on, on things that you're trying to perform. And, and uh, like that, that's, it's, it's a game changer. It's a life changer. Um, and, and, you know, if, if you walk around all the time thinking you're, you're a terrible person and you're worthless, um, you're going to have a really, really hard time being happy. Right. 
if 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 you show up, I mean, I had, I had lunch with uh, the guy that I hired to be my coach when I decided to get into three gun specifically. He was on the three gun nation pro series, Andy Peterson. Um, and he was just talking, you know, we were, we were reminiscing, catching up. Um, he's, he's recently become a dad. He's not shooting as much and I'm, you know, all in at this point. And, uh, we're just talking about that, that mental shift of like, once you start just, once you get some basics down and you start realizing that I can do everything that that person does and they're a seasoned decorated national champion pro, once you, you, you tell yourself, you can't lie to yourself. You have to put in the work, which Goggins also points out. But yeah. once you start letting yourself believe facts instead of entertaining opinions about yourself, it can change. You put in that work and then you start believing that you're good enough. Um, things start to materialize. And then your ability to function under stress goes away. You know, the, the, the things that we feed ourselves and, unconscious thought manifest themselves in the physical world. You know, this isn't some uh, woo woo mystical law of attraction, what the ether will grant you if you vibrate at the frequency of what it is you desire. (laughs) You know, this is very, very real uh, medical scientific stuff. Like we have to create context about everything we experience because that's how we're wired. So you know, that, that can help us deal with stress better. I, I mean, after doing a lot of competitive shooting and operating under stress, I don't find movies entertaining anymore. Mm-hmm. Most of them like, uh, uh, like it, <laughs> it doesn't do it for me. I, I, I don't psych out under fake stress anymore. Like um, now the rock climbing one did, but <laughs> I mean, it, I, I am pleased in some small way that uh, that because of me, you 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 went and watched something that you couldn't get through. Like like I don't know why, but that I <laughs> you talk about not being able to be psyched out. But <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome, buddy. Thank you so much, Riley. Uh, but I mean, who was it? I was talking about Rocky. Like uh, sure, you know Sylvester Stallone you know, went into poverty. He sold his best friend, his dog to try to get Rocky produced. If you're not familiar with that story, it's, it's amazing, but yeah, he wound up and actually bought his dog back. Um, but he wrote Rocky and he didn't want to sell the script. He wanted to direct and star in it and wouldn't take any lesser answer than that. And it it wound up working. Right. But, um, you know, you, even if you watch Rocky now and he's going up against Apollo Creed and all that, like my heart, Cause I get excited. Like I'm cheering for him, but at no moment ever in the production of that film was Rocky or Sylvester Stallone, like worried about how, how the outcome was you know, like, he wasn't worried about how, how the movie was going to end. Mm-hmm. He wrote it. He knew exactly like it, it's a planned <laughs> out storyline, but you know, Hollywood's so good at producing fake imagery that our bodies believe. And, and that's why we do it. Right. Like, even the motion we're seeing on the motion pictures isn't real. It's just a, you know, a fast presentation of a bunch of static images. That's how animation film works. Right. And you combine that with pre-recorded sounds. It's just fascinating to me. Like what we wind up allowing ourselves to believe instead of reality. And, and then, so, I I mean, I encourage all my students that come to me and want to take shooting lessons 
to go, go to a match. Come with me. Come to a local match next weekend or whatever. I'm not good enough yet. I'll, I'll, I'll compete when I get good enough. Like you have to be willing to suck in order to start getting good. Like there, there's no, like I'll get good enough. Then I'll start competing. Like just yeah. show up. That's and, so true. And itself. You, you start realizing what you need to work on in order to get good. Cause standing all by yourself, shooting paper or range, like board concealed carry permit, Sean of eight years ago, like yeah. you don't know what you suck at until you're, you're put to a test that you, that contains tasks that you don't know how to plan for. Absolutely. Yeah, there was, there was a comment here from, uh, or question really, um, Michael asks, uh, and he's referring back again to the Alex and old, was he ever asked why? Like what I think, why, why would he do this? Right. When he could do it safely, is it the rush he's after? And I, I kind of, I typed up a response here, but I wanted to address it here in the podcast because I think this is something good to sort of, as we kind of start wrapping this up to kind of focus on, I think as a, as a motivation and a driver for all of us uh, listening or participating in this show going forward, like why, why, why do we do the things that we do? Uh, why do we compete? Why do we take defensive handgun courses? Why do we go to the range and even practice? Uh, is it is it is it the rush? Like, why does this guy climb three thousand foot cliffs uh, without ropes? Is it just because the rush? Like for for me, me and for you and for everybody else, most everybody else, like it's dang near impossible to fathom why he would get a rush out of that. But we're not in his shoes. He's really he good. Doesn't get a rush. Well, you know, and I, I think he enjoys what he does, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, and I think we we do things we enjoy because we get, we don't always describe it as a rush, but we feel good about doing the things that we enjoy and the things that we're good at. He's really good at rock climbing. Like, that's his thing. That's like the only thing, that's his one lifelong passion. And so he's chasing his passion. Uh, you love shooting. I love shooting. We like to get better at shooting. So it makes us feel good when we see progress, when we see ourselves. I think that's the point. We love to get better, right? Right. You all, you almost have to eliminate the ability to feel a rush in order to progress in something like competitive shooting. Uh, in another life, I was a professional drummer. And the one thing that I couldn't allow to happen was enjoying the music. Um, I, I couldn't sure. get excited about it. I couldn't enjoy it. Otherwise, I'd start speeding up. I, I'd, I'd lose my, you know, I, I'd miss cues because I, I would be in the moment. I had to be thinking, you know, 30 seconds ahead and, and then just allow my body to execute in the moment. But co- consciously, I was ahead and I couldn't allow lizard brain to take over and have the adrenaline and dopamine dump. I would only be able to enjoy it watching a video or listening to a recording of said performance after the fact. And, and, you know, so the satisfaction comes from, I pull it off knowing that you pull could it do off it in front of 10,000 yeah. people. I didn't screw up everyone, yeah. you know, lead guitarists and singers can, can kind of let it go. But for me, I, I had to be the pulse that didn't end. Right. I had to cue other musicians in, I, you know, it, it it's a different operation. And, you know, what, when I first started competitive shooting, I had that mental game of like being able to stay calm under pressure to a degree, but I was doing weird stuff. Well, even when I started three gun, you know, I, I had put my pistol down and picked up my shotgun and I was going to load it. And I grabbed a pistol mag and crammed it into the loading port of my shotgun. <laughs> and I'm conscious enough to be able to laugh at that because I'm calm or 
than I otherwise would have been if I didn't have that music performance training and experience. But um, at the same time, I didn't have the muscle memory to play that particular game. And so my coach would say, what were you thinking? And, and honestly, the answer was always nothing because <laughs> you have to be thinking about nothing in order to execute on stuff at the time. And so instead of paying attention to what I was supposed to be doing, I was thinking about my next target, which is the higher thinking you're supposed to be at. But I didn't have my fundamentals, my basics down to play that particular game. Mm. And so, you know, why does why do I conceal carry train? I like just because you buy a drum set or a guitar doesn't make you a musician, right? <laughs> you can have it, you can tinker with it, you can post pictures of yourself with it on Instagram, <laughs> and you can create a lot of believers out of a lot of people. But when it comes down to execution, uh, <laughs> that's a different story. And 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 so being willing to be vulnerable and raw and, 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 uh, being willing to suck uh, is the only path to getting good. It's, you know, everyone wants to go to heaven when no one, no one wants to die. Um, kind of thing. Yeah. I think, I think it's one thing that holds people back a lot of times, uh, whether it's getting into competition or even just going and taking a good quality defensive handgun course because pride. Yeah. We, we, nobody wants to show up to a course or to a competition and be told we suck. Whether, whether we're actually told we suck or not, like we know, like we find out or we discover, we, we know if we suck or not, right? And uh, nobody likes to be put in that position. It's uncomfortable. But- it's uncomfortable, but it's the only way to actually accomplishing something that's worth having pride in. So yeah, you know, I, I've thought about this a lot. Like, you know, the old saying, it's, it's better to keep your mouth shut and be presumed an idiot than to open it up and remove all doubt, right? Somebody well, commented that exact thing like an, like forty minutes ago. <laughs> I I want to I want to remove all doubt. Sure. I want to see where all my vulnerabilities are. You know, I I got mugged in two thousand four. Really, um, mm. two thousand five Valentine's Day. Um, I was in an ATM grabbing some cash before I met up with my wife. Um, Dang, dude! And <laughs> a, a guy put a. a a pistol into my back and um, I was not carrying. I, I was a college student at the time. And, <laughs> um, but my wife had given me this, this uh, pin it was a really nice pin. And um, I, I, I feel this jab into my back while I'm getting, pulling stuff out of the ATM. And he says, give me your pin, give me your card and your pin. So, Obviously, he wants my personal identification number with which to utilize access to my bank account. But I'm thinking, what the hell is going on here? This guy wants my pen. He like my my nice Valentine's Day gift. Like we're poor college students. She bought me this hundred dollar pen. Um, long story behind that doesn't matter. It was in it was in my coat, and um, I was actually dressed in a suit coat. I've been doing uh, job interviews that day, and. Uh, and then we were going out that night. So a suit was just the appropriate thing for the entire day. It worked out well. <laughs> and um, I turn around and I, you know, my ability to stay calm under pressure, I always freak out later, but at the time I'm calling and I turn around, it's this short dude. He's wearing a hoodie. He's got another hoodie over the, the gun that he's pointing at me. I can tell that it's a Glock. You know, the funny things we think about when we're, <laughs> I've got a, and I said, my pen, he says, give me your pen. And he's trying to explain. And as soon, you know, his hand motions start, right? And, and as soon as he went, your pen, the gun went from here to here. Um, 
I, I took martial arts my entire life. Uh, I was a black belt by the time I was 14. Um, uh, uh, but I hadn't trained in years, right? I'm now I'm like 20, I'm mid twenties. So it's been at least a decade. And, uh, I, but lizard brain kicked in and I clocked him in the face. As soon as that gun was out of the way, I kind of held that arm and, and mm. just mashed him in the face. And then I ran away. I mean, it was Napoleon dynamite graceful, right? <laughs> there was nothing, <laughs> nothing that, Hollywood would ever want to film out of that moment, but I knocked him out cold and I ran away. It was raining. I'm wearing leather soled shoes, slipping everywhere. I'm out of breath. And it's just like a block and a half away from the theater. We're attending that night. And, uh, you know, I, I think about that a lot because I wasn't carrying. Um, I utilized what I had with me. Um, my, my big hand <laughs> to a face. You're not a small dude and you're not, weak by any means <laughs> I, I not not by a lot of measures uh you are correct and and <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you executing that like i i still surprise myself right like um in in stressful situations how well or how poorly i respond to different things in a physical manner but that 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 worked at the right time and you know when i teach concealed carry class i'm a utah concealed carry instructor when i teach permit classes you know, I, I tell the story because the permit doesn't give you Superman, uh, a Superman pass just because you're carrying a gun. You might feel safe, but feeling safe and being safe and being effective with a tool are very, very different things. Mm-hmm. And being more aware of how inadequate you are with a tool makes you more effective with it because it drives you to want to improve. And it also lets you know your limitations. And I, I you know, we're operating under stress like, I think about that. I also think about like, what if I was carrying? What if I did cancel that dude like a stamp? Like it would have changed a lot of things about how life currently is. My wife was expecting our first kid at the time and we were just finishing college and I, I'm glad I could just clock him and run away with the 40 bucks I pulled out of my <laughs> bank account, which was then at that point dry, <laughs> you know. Um, I don't know why I didn't just give him my wallet and you know, that's what we're told to do, right? Like just give them anything they want. No, no one wants to kill anyone. They just want your stuff and you can always replace it. And I, I don't know why I did that. Um, you know, just lizard brain, it, yeah. adrenaline and dopamine dump cortisol, all that biochemical stuff. And it just happened. And, mm. but I'm glad it, it ended well for me. Um, and him He's lucky I wasn't carrying and, I don't know, man, like I, training is so important. Yeah. Like when I see people arguing about what their next gun should be, I just, my, my thought now is like, take buy one that you're really comfortable with that you can carry and you can use and go train with it. Yeah. Spend the money and time on training. Go, go to a match and compete. It's not expensive. You're out 25 bucks plus the cost of ammo and the, the time, you know, of a Saturday afternoon and go figure out what you're capable of. Go learn something. And and the most powerful learning is experience. It really is. Stop watching YouTube videos and go out and do, go out and execute. Nice. By the way, uh, something weird has happened with your audio. So we're, we're getting some weird noise now, but uh, I'm sure it's just a 
internet connectivity, something or other. But oh, of uh, course, that's that's just awesome. So uh, it, it's it, but this I think what you were just saying just now is a, is a perfect place to just kind of wrap it up. I mean, kind of come full circle on a number of things here and. And, uh, yeah, um, buy something, you know, a gun that, that you're comfortable with, that works for you, get some training, practice. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think what I would just add is don't ever stop trying to improve. Right. And, uh, and be aware of where you're at, right? Yeah. My first week carrying, I didn't carry with one in the chamber. I carried with the chamber empty. That's, is that optimal? No. But was my skill set? No. I was just trying to get comfortable with the idea of carrying. Sure. Yeah. Right. So you carry with one in the chamber now? Absolutely. <laughs> I knew the answer to that. Good stuff, brother. Uh, folks, uh, again, this is, uh, this was Sean Burroughs, uh, HK shooting team, uh, on, on the podcast with me today and appreciate Sean and, and him taking some time out of his day and his busy schedule to, uh, come with us on the show. Sean, thank you me. so much, man. We'll have to have you back again for episode, episode 762. <laughs> So, uh, hey, real quick, folks, uh, just a reminder that uh, today's episode sponsor, uh, concealedcarry.com apparel uh, that we got in our store. So I encourage you to check that out. Uh, again, concealedcarry.com forward slash apparel is a quick, short link to get there and uh, make or take advantage of the deals we have there. And, uh, of course, uh, HK, uh, Sean is involved with HK, so give him some love. And also HK has been really awesome. Uh, Angela over there has, has had us and our team in the HK booth at SHOT Show, at the NRA Show, and, uh, you know, for podcasts and stuff. So the number of the podcasts we've recorded, including, don't forget, we have the uh, the ladies podcast, the Not Your Average Gun Girls uh, show, uh, when they've recorded there a number of times. And so, yeah. My wife, Alicia, has been on that podcast a couple of times. A couple of times. Absolutely. So good show and uh, good folks over there at HK. So Sean, we wish you the best of luck in your future endeavors in competition and training and everything else you're doing, man. Thanks, Riley. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. We'll do it again. Absolutely. So folks, with that, that's a wrap. Uh, we appreciate you for joining us on this episode. We just give you our our every episode reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.